Well, hello, everyone. Glad to be together with you today. Let's dig into God's Word as we read today from uh, John chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. I'll put the, uh, the words on the screen here for you to follow along with. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. This is God's word. Can you imagine being there? Imagine being one of the women or or the disciple, John, or Mary, the mother of Jesus. Imagine being there and seeing this scene play out. You can imagine like the, the, the anguish and the grief and the way it just pulled at their heart to watch their, their friend, their savior, their Lord, her son, tortured to death, struggling to breathe. Just imagine the, the absolute sadness and grief that gripped them in that, in that moment. John says that they were standing nearby. Uh, some of the other gospel writers says that they were standing far away. So perhaps for a time they watched at a distance and then at this moment they get a chance to come closer right at the foot of the cross and be with Jesus. How hard it must have been to even come closer knowing what was happening. To even look at him knowing what was going on. That must have just torn at them. But this is not just a scene, just not just a moment of, of anguish and grief and some poignant moment between a son and, and his mother. And actually, all those people there, they know that. That what's happening right here is more than just a sad, tragic accident. Each and every one of them knows Jesus had to be here. He's got to be doing this. It's his, it's his purpose. It's his mission. They, they all knew that this moment, as sad and as gruesome as it was, it's the climax of Jesus' life. And Mary knew it. She should have, right? Gabriel, the angel, told her that she was going to give birth to the Messiah, the Son of God. This is part of his purpose, to die for the sins of the world. She and Joseph knew that they were going to give him the name Jesus because he was going to save his people from their sins. They had heard from Simeon. It only feels like a few weeks ago when we were talking about that story, if you were here, of Simeon talking to Joseph and Mary about who this little baby was going to be. And what did he say to them? He said that, uh, that this little child was going to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel. He'd be a sign that would be spoken against. And Simeon turns to Mary and he says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Perhaps that's exactly what's happening. Simeon also said that that child was God's salvation. Mary knew that this was the climax of Jesus' life. This wasn't just a sad moment watching her son die. She was also watching her Savior do what he was always intended to do. This is the culmination of Jesus' whole life. And not just Mary knew that, but the disciples, right? the, the, the women and John, they knew that too. They would, have, they would have heard Jesus say some things uh, like this. He would have said this, I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. They knew that this is what Jesus was here for. They they would have heard Jesus say this too. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John probably heard just a few days before Jesus speak uh, these words. He says this, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day he will be raised to life. See, this isn't just like a, a sad, poignant moment between some friends watching their friend or their leader or their son die. They're watching the climax of Jesus' life and his purpose finally happening. They know that, but they know it's even more than that. This is not just the climactic moment of some guy's career. This is the moment, the climax of the whole salvation story. A story that began in paradise and ends in paradise. Here is its stunning climax at Jesus' death and resurrection. And they get to see that playing out. To see as Jesus is punished so that they don't have to be. That Jesus is condemned in the eyes of God so that that later on the Apostle Paul could say, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And they're watching it happen. They're watching as their sins are nailed to the cross with their Savior. They're watching as God pours out his wrath on his Son instead of on us. So it's more than just a sad moment. Right? Uh, they're watching as prophecy is fulfilled. Right? Uh, the one who would crush the serpent's head, the promise made to Adam and Eve, That's what Jesus is doing. He's crushing Satan's head. And the promise made to to Abraham that all nations will be blessed, Abraham, through your descendants. All nations will be blessed. This is how. Through Jesus' sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. And prophecy is being fulfilled like the prophecy given in Isaiah chapter 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds... We are healed. They were watching him be crushed for our iniquities. They were watching the punishment that that brought us peace. So as sweet and tender and emotional a moment as as that is, let's not forget what's really happening. The biggest moment in all of history, not just all of salvation history, but in your history too. This is the moment that turns your life from a tragedy into victory. This is the moment that turns your life from hopeless chaos to certainty. And in the middle of all that, in the middle of all that stuff that's happening, Jesus says, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. The the fate of the world, the salvation of the world hangs in the balance and Jesus says, Mom, I just want to make sure you're taken care of. Crazy, right? Unexpected, perhaps, of all the things that Jesus says with the limited breath he has. He says, dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. Maybe just a a few details for us to to note about what Jesus says here. Um, He's speaking to John, 
and to his mother. This is John the disciple, one of the twelve, but also one of like the inner three that often spend time with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. They were there when uh, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. They're one of the three guys that are in that room. Right? When Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus reveals his glory, John's there, he sees that. Just a day before, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples are there and he asks Peter, James, and John to come with him while he prays in his maybe deepest moment of anguish before he's actually on the cross. John's like one of the, one of the closest ones. And, uh, and yet, how do we even know that it's John? We don't even hear his name. Right? Uh, you may have come in contact with this before, but in John's gospel, like, he's the one who wrote it. And whenever he talks about himself, he simply calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right? So this is John, even though we don't get it by name. That is him. But it's just, just interesting, right, that he refers to himself that way as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He doesn't say, you know, John, one of the twelve, or John, one of the inner three, but he just calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, as if John, when he writes this gospel, is in humility, trying to put all the focus on Jesus and none of it on himself, to define himself not by his own accomplishments, but by how God sees him. I know this isn't central to, to the story here, but just isn't that a cool, cool thing to see someone who defines themselves not by their own accomplishments, but by how God sees that he, he, just, he just wants people to know, I'm one that Jesus loved. That's all you need to know about me. And, and perhaps we could say the same about ourselves too, that we don't need to define ourselves by our accomplishments, but I'm the one that my Savior loves. It's kind of a cool thing. Uh, so he's, he's talking to, to John and he says, this now is your mother. He's giving Mary an adopted son, not so much so that Mary has someone to take care of, but so that John can take care of her. Mary was probably a widow at this point. We don't hear anything about Joseph. He seems like he might not be in the picture anymore, and it's believed that he had already died. And if you know anything about widows at Jesus' time, they, along with orphans, were considered those most needing looking after because they didn't have anyone else to take care of them. There was no social safety net, no government programs to take care of them. They needed someone to, to watch over them, to give them a home, to give them food, to make sure that they were taken care of. And so what is Jesus doing? He, he's making sure that Mary has someone to look after her. He's not going to be around, and so he wants to make sure that Mary is, is taken care of. So he says, John, take care of her. Here, here is your mother. And he did. It says after that, from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. John followed Jesus' advice, Jesus' command, and uh, probably not just to take care of her physical needs, but two believers now, sharing, sharing a home together, getting to be a, a Christian community together where they would encourage each other and continue to have faith in their Savior together through the trials and the difficulties that life would bring. So what can we learn from this really short section of God's word, this, this small thing that Jesus says? Um, I'll just say this, there's no secret coded language in what Jesus is saying, right? He's not making Mary the mother of all the church. He's not giving John to Mary, and he's not giving some secret coded message. He's just saying, John, take care of my mom. But in what he does there, I think we do see God's heart. We see the beauty of God's love. And there's, there's, there's three things I think that I want to point out that we can learn from this today. First thing is, Jesus' love exceeds our expectations. 
I mean, come on, guys. He's dying for the sins of the world here. And yet he takes the time out to make sure that his mom is taken care of. I mean, hadn't he also preached, like, to all those people saying, don't worry about tomorrow. God's going to take care of you. Look at the flowers of the field. Look at the birds of the air. They're all going to be taken care of. Couldn't have he just said, like, yeah, I said that. She'll be taken care of. But instead, he takes time to show specific love to someone in need. Jesus' love always, should always shatter our expectations um, and be surprisingly gracious and overflowing. Jesus, is, he's got so much to, to, to worry about, so much to be thinking about in dying for our sins in that moment, in continuing to, to follow and keep God's law perfectly and not to sin because he's about to give that perfect record to you and me. So he needs to make sure he's doing it right, and yet he takes the time to show love. I mean, isn't that shocking, surprising? I mean... How often do we not show love because we're busy with a whole lot less? Isn't that love surprising? Maybe God's love for you has grown less surprising lately. You ever felt that? God's love feels like it's getting stale or general or generic. You say, God so loved the world. Yeah, okay, he loves me. Yeah, okay. If that's the case, um, Perhaps we're just not seeing God's love as it really is. So I encourage you, if that's how you feel today, if God's love has become stale, if, it has not, if it's not special and overflowing to you, I encourage you just to dig back into God's word. See who he really is. See his love as he describes it. And continue to be filled up that way. And if you're looking for a way to do that, you could join us in reading through the Bible this year. We're only partway through. There's a lot of the year left. But you could join us in reading through the Bible on the Bible app. Um, you can find it in our Divine Savior Church app. There's a place you just click there. It'll take you right there. And you can join us kind of right where we are. Spend daily time in God's word and continue to refresh yourself and your view of God's amazing, surprising love. But perhaps if God's love uh, doesn't seem surprising to you, if it's grown stale in any sort of way, uh, maybe another thing that would be good for us to do is just to look at our own hearts. Because if, if you really notice your sin, you see all the ways that you've been selfish, all the ways that you've looked at God's commands and his law, and you've just kind of said, no, I've got other things to do. I'd rather do my thing. All the times that we've broken God's law again and again, repeatedly, what should be surprising to us? It's that God still loves me. That God still loves me, right? That, sh- that should continually surprise me. <laughs> that God still loves me, even today still loves me. Even after that, he still loves me and still forgives me. God, after what I did, did not somehow restrict me from the blessings of forgiveness that he gave on the cross. But he still loves me. That should surprise us. And so if God's love has grown stale, dig into your own heart, be honest about your sin, confess them to God, and realize he still forgives you, he still loves you. Yeah, that's amazing. Keep your eyes out for God's unexpected love, just like he shows it here on the cross. Second thing for us to perhaps pull out of uh, this, this lesson today, God takes care of us through ordinary means, just like he did here. The goal for Jesus, right, is to take care of, he wants Mary to make sure she's taken care of, right? How could he have done that, right? He, he could have done it in a lot of different ways. I mean, right, uh, He was about to die, but he also knew he was going to rise from the dead. So couldn't he have risen from the dead, 
came back, found mom, and said, zap, there's a huge mansion for you. The pantry's filled. There's a refrigerator in there. You don't even know what that is. It's amazing. Um, I have all this stuff for you. It's all there. You're all taken care of. God totally could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he chose to take care of, of Mary in just regular, ordinary means, just like the ways he takes care of us, through other people. Right? That, that's how God takes care of us. Uh, and it's still God doing it. Uh, James 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Uh, God could take care of us by miraculous means all the time. He showed it with the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000, the manna and quail provided for the Israelites in the desert. He can do it miraculously. But I'm convinced that, that God chooses not to because the natural means that he uses, they're a blessing in and of themselves. That actually doing it in a miraculous way would be less good than the way he already does it. Because the way that he provides stuff for us is a blessing in and of itself. Think about this. Okay, just think about the way that you get food. Right? God could zap food right into your pantry, right into your refrigerator, but he doesn't. Instead, he gives you a job. And a job to the workers in the field and those who work in the grocery store and those who drive the delivery trucks. And in that way, he gives us not only a way to provide for our families, but he also gives us purpose and meaning and ways to serve other people. And on top of that, through those people working to provide for one another, he provides for us relationships and opportunities to serve one another. Instead of just giving it all to us, he provides an economy, a distribution system that in and of itself is a blessing to us. Uh, somebody once described it to me uh, this way, the way God provides for us. Just imagine each and every one of us has a, a basket. And into that basket, God places everything that he's going to give you. Right? And, and God could, you know, God could provide 7.8 billion identical gift baskets with the exact same things in each one. But he doesn't. Instead, he gives to each of us different things. Some people with more, some people with less, some people with more but of a different thing, right? And gives us different stuff in each of our baskets. And what ends up happening is beautiful because in order for one person to get what they need, another person needs to share from their basket, right? Like God has given you stuff in your basket that you need to share with her, right? And she is going to share things from her basket with someone over there, in order for her to do that, she's got to get stuff from your basket first, right? And in that way, God not only is providing for all of us, but also is providing an opportunity for connection, for relationships, for emotional and spiritual support. And maybe, think about this, the things that God has put in your basket, maybe God's putting stuff into your basket, into your life that's intended for someone else. And that the way he's going to provide for someone is through very ordinary means. It's you. And God doesn't tell you from the cross the names of the people that he puts into your life to care for, but he definitely does do that. So, so who has God given you to take care of? Right? Who, who's the Mary in your life that God has given you to take care of? And perhaps, who has God, you know, God has put you into someone else's life for, for them to take care of? Who, who are the people that God has, has placed you with? So we can care for and provide for one another because that's how God bestows all of his amazing blessings on us. 
In fact, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I mean, if that's not a sign of how God, God is providing for us by also providing us opportunities for good works, opportunities for service in advance. Like, as you look down the path of your life, God has laid out different ways for you to serve him and ways to serve your neighbors. So keep your eyes open, friends. God's going to put opportunities in front of you. Don't shy away from them. He may not say the name of someone or some opportunity from the cross, but God is still giving us opportunities to be his hands and to be his feet and to show love to people. Which uh, leads me to two, two little encouragements just before we leave that idea. Two different Bible passages speak kind of from two different ends, but to talk about why, why this is important for us to keep our eyes open for this stuff. First John 3 says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. And then in John 13, 34, and 35, we just read this uh, near the beginning of our service. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so in love, God's going to give us opportunities to provide for other people. God's the one who provides it all. We're just his instruments. We're just the people that God puts in charge of our stuff for a little while so that we might use it in love. Which leads me to perhaps the last thing um, that we could learn here from, from this little story. God cares about us both physically and spiritually. Obviously, Jesus is caring for the biggest spiritual need ever on the cross as he is God's solution to the broken, sinful world that we live in. The solution to our broken relationship with God, he's fixing that as Jesus hangs there on the cross. But in that moment, he shows he also cares about our physical needs. He cared about the physical and spiritual needs, emotional needs of his mother too. And he cares no less about you. I mean, if, if God says he loves you, he loves you all the way. Like, Don't compartmentalize God's love for you. God doesn't just love you in your church attendance and in your Bible reading and in your prayer life. God also loves you in relation to your job and your family and whether or not you have food to eat and your health, right? God cares about every single aspect of your life. If he loves you, he loves you all the way. He loves all of it. And as much as God cares about your spiritual needs, he also cares about your physical needs. Sure, God in his word has said, obviously, your eternal destination and your soul is the highest priority. But that doesn't mean he doesn't care about the rest of it. So don't start compartmentalizing your life away from God either. Instead, you can see, how is God blessing me and showing his grace and his love in my job? How is God loving me and caring for me in my family, in my opportunities within my own neighborhood and my own community? God loves you not just spiritually, but, but physically too. And he cares about you. He cares about all the little things going on. So you've got some stress, something going on. Go to God with it because he, he obviously cares about it. Because he cares about you. And obviously the ultimate way he showed that was giving his, his own life for you. 
Romans 8, uh, 32 puts it this way. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Friends, if, if, God, if God really does love us, and he does, he loves us all the way. Every part of your life, every last little thing, there's nothing, there's nothing, nothing that God doesn't care about. So whatever that little thing is, take it to God because he definitely does care about it. Hopefully today you've seen the heart of your Savior. The way his love is gracious, surprising, the way it so wisely provides for our needs, the ways that it cares about us, all of us, in every single way. Perhaps, hopefully, it just shows us this. Who is Jesus? Who is that man hanging on the cross that they witnessed? He's the one who loves you best.